In this lecture, we are going to begin to examine Nietzsche's constructive philosophy. In the last lecture, we looked at what Nietzsche had to say about nihilism, but we did not really tackle what alternatives he put in place for overcoming nihilism. To begin to understand the totality of Nietzsche's philosophy, it is necessary to understand his notion of will to power. The will to power, I maintain, is an ontological claim. That is, Nietzsche is making a claim about the nature of reality itself, as well as making a claim as to how different entities relate. In turn, once we understand his ontological claims, this will enable us to gain a clearer sense of how Nietzsche constructs a response to the traditional branches of philosophy, that is, ethics, politics, aesthetics, mind and logic. Here, I outline how Nietzsche conceives of the will to power as a metaphysical question, how the will to power becomes a relational theory of forces, which in turn lays the ground for Nietzsche's theory of perspectivity and the will to truth. In Martin Heidegger's lectures on Nietzsche, he takes Nietzsche's philosophical commitments very seriously, deeming his theory of the will to power as one of the most original engagements with the question of being. In those seminars, Nietzsche sees Heidegger as a direct forerunner of the temporal account of Dasein which he develops in Being and Time. Heidegger also sees elements of Nietzsche as marking the culmination of Western metaphysics, where the will to power and eternal recurrence are just one more theory of everything, which replaces the dead god of metaphysics. Nietzsche, for his part, does his best to prove Heidegger right. At the very end of the will to power, Nietzsche tells us, the world is will to power and nothing besides. Put like this, we can easily see why this might be mistaken as a metaphysical theory. That is, if we understand metaphysics as the most general determination of being. That is where all beings, entities, every single last thing in the cosmos is derived from a single thing. In this instance, will to power. In the same passage, though, Nietzsche also says the following, and I quote, This world, a monster of energy, without beginning, without end, not something blurry or wasted, not something endlessly extended, but set in a definite space as a definite force, and not a space that might be empty, here or there but rather as force throughout, as a play of forces and waves of forces, at the same time one and many, increasing here and at the same time decreasing there, a sea of forces flowing and rushing together, eternally changing. Here we can see a picture of how Nietzsche understands metaphysics. It is not metaphysical in a conventional sense, where metaphysics means a univocal explanation of the absolute where a single power or force guarantees all relation. It is metaphysical in a radically different sense, with Nietzsche suggesting the will to power is the conditions through which any particular being comes to exist. The emphasis in the will to power is on localization rather than universalization. By local, I mean forces interacting in a singular way, without being derived from an overarching substance like God or nature. It is necessary to see Nietzsche, in regard to the question of force at least, as a continuation of Hegel's analysis of force in the phenomenology of spirit. There we saw Hegel reframe the question of substance as force. Force is activity and reactivity, and therefore reality is only intelligible as a play of forces. There is no such thing as force in itself, or as force existing unto itself. Force, rather, is activity itself, and there is no agent human or divine, which enacts force from a disinterested third-person perspective. 
a review from nowhere to use Thomas Nagel's evocative expression. Thus, when Nietzsche says this world is will to power and nothing besides, is revealing to us the conditions of thinking, that is, what conditions must be in place to have a thought or to do philosophy. The conditions of thinking are force, and thus, as we saw with Hegel, mind and matter are inseparable. Insofar as anything is intelligible, that is, insofar as anything is at all thinkable, it appears as force. Here, we could see also where Nietzsche departs from Kant. Force is not a thing in itself. Force is not thinkable in isolation, but always in relation. The will to power is thus the pure activity of interacting forces. Here we can see as well how Nietzsche collapses the platonic distinction between the eternal and temporal world, or the world of forms and the world of appearances. The will to power is not a metaphysical absolute where you have secondary appearances derived from a more fundamental eternal idea. Instead, the absolute is reality appearing as force. Power is a field of forces, differences and relations. More importantly, will to power then is not an abstract universal phenomena. That is, a theory of everything where all things relate in the same way. This would be a bit silly if you think about it. For example, to say a film sustains itself in the same way as a cup is erroneous, or to say a seagull is the same as a biscuit. All doesn't really amount to much. Rather, will to power is not abstract but concrete possessing a distinctive directionality at each moment. It is a will for this, or a will for that. To understand Nietzsche's theory of force is therefore to understand force as relational. It is not the case that we can reduce reality to atoms, or even to mathematical points. In Dante's Divine Comedy, we find two avatars of opposing forces in the universe. In the Inferno, we have Satan, and in the Paradiso, we have God. For Dante, reality is a question of magnitude. Oddly, though, that which is smaller has more reality. Hence, Satan in the Inferno is absolutely massive. God, on the other hand, who is revealed at the end of the Paradiso, is the tiniest, most insubstantial and immaterial thing of all. A point. Tinier than a speck of dust. But still, the singularity from which all else emanates a kind of holy big bang, if you will. God is a substance, the foundation of all that is, and Satan, who is continually flapping his gigantic wings, makes hell freeze over. He represents change and becoming. Neither of these archetypes of medieval metaphysics are satisfactory for Nietzsche. After all, we need to think beyond good and evil. Nietzsche would not accept the Dantean cosmos, where a point is the purest and simplest and most eternal expression of all that exists. A point has both a temporal and spatial designation. A point is the smallest element of space, and a point is also a self-sufficient now. Nietzsche is claiming that there are no pure points, or so self-sufficient nows. That which is, is only insofar as it relates to other temporal and spatial things. Reality, in all the things in it, consists in effort, force, or the will to establish spatial location and temporal survival, or spatial location despite temporal change are becoming. Since forces or wills are disposed towards particular forms of survival, 
This implies a span over time, or a process of maintenance. Will to power is, in Nietzsche's own words, and I quote, the primitive form of effect. That all other effects are only developments of it. Hence, the physical concept of force, or of any particular something, an atom, a cup, candy floss, are continually subjected to or exerting a force. Any substance is thus the void of sense without the will to power. Nietzsche's radical metaphysics thereby displaces traditional metaphysical notions such as idea, eternity, substance, the unconditioned, and sameness and equality. These are all ahistorical abstractions from the perspective of interacting forces, or put otherwise for Nietzsche, life itself. If reality is change, this implies that there is something inherently destructive about it since change entails a transformation of that which is into that which is not. However, it is not the case that reality is constituted as pure flux for Nietzsche. If this was the case, nothing could appear with a minimal degree of stability, since everything would be chaos and indeterminacy. Equally, if reality consisted only of stable things, nothing at all would happen since nothing could change. Reality, then, as will to power, is characterised by striving, forcing itself to remain the same, that is, as something giving itself substantial heft or giving itself more content. Any object which exists then exists in a relative stability between competing and struggling forces, which enhances the object's identity despite irrevocable change. Only through interactive forces can any object come to sustain itself, or have being, or better, become a real becoming. The interaction of forces implies a level of localization as well as adaptation to immediate context. To repeat, becoming is not indeterminate change, but it is change which includes the relative formation of structure. From the perspective of interacting forces, all objects and all concepts are themselves created and creating. The creative aspect is important here. Becoming is also developmental. Thus, when forces interact, they are also, in some sense, attempts at self-assertion. That is, they can become stronger or weaker. If wills are stronger or weaker, this really is another set of terms for active and passive. Here, we can probably detect Nietzsche's Schopenhauerian background, since wills can also be conceived as types of desires. That is, desire understood in a broad sense as an impulse or a drive to want. But what do wills want? Wills want to survive, and thus wills want their past to become the future. To survive, then, they must appreciate their past, their present as well as future. Will, as a desire to survive, must honour its past. This is necessary if it is to augment itself across the course of its life. A force exists only where what it was and where it is adapts its dispositions and inclinations and powers towards enrichment. The success of wills to power is another matter entirely. Wills may or may not succeed in asserting their survival. A will also cannot force any future, that is, a will cannot engage in creatio ec nihilo, since it always exists in an environmental locale. For example, present me cannot turn into a bat. All of the changes I engage in are relatively located to my past instantiations as they determine my present and future orientations. So, they will the future. 
and therefore the future is also an expression of will to power as a form of incessant novelization of the past. Wills are not random. They are, in fact, purposive or directed. Here Nietzsche thinks that wills are forms of interpretation, says wills will actively. When Nietzsche uses the term interpretation, the best way to understand it is from the perspective of art. In an artistic sense, an interpretation is a particular way of performing a piece of art. For example, a cover song, a sonata, a play or a dance. Performance also implies wellness, as in she performed, or a piece was performed well. Thus, when Nietzsche talks about Wills' interpretation, he means that Wills strive to perform well, to perform something of value. This means that Wills drive to maintain their identity, despite religious change. Perhaps a better term here might be interinterpretation, since, as we saw, a force is not intelligible in isolation. Therefore, a will is intelligible not just in terms of self-interpretation, but in how that self-interpretation interrelates with other wills. Thus, Nietzsche's ontology is also a type of genealogy, since every will emerges out of an interpretation of the past, a hermeneutic. Wills are both active and passive. An active will retains past and present and disposes them towards a future end. All activity is hence an activity of creation and negation, or activity and passivity. The will to power proposes a radical enhancement of the metaphysical tradition. Nietzsche's proposal is that there really is no fundamental basis to reality other than interacting forces. His theory of will to power, or probably more accurately wills to power, aims to replace some of our most fundamental notions, such as substance, atoms, monads, causality and a stable sense of a psychological self. The will to power is not an original unity but a multiplicity. Thus his theory of power is a theory about how all distinctive things relate in particular contexts. We should note that when Nietzsche uses the term power he's not really using it as we might do in an ordinary sense where we might talk about electrical power or political power as a concept of holding lesser or greater degrees of influence even if these things are intelligible in terms of his ontology. Instead, power designates interpretation, or better, interpretation as willing, striving, evaluating. Power thought of in this way is thus also, and always, an evaluation of local, past, present and imminent wills. Power, as Nietzsche conceives it, is fundamentally adaptive, and this can refer to cells, society, things, or even biological microphenomena like cells. We can't really then ask a Socratic definitional question here. That is, what is power? Power cannot be explained what it is, since what it is is always entangled with what it is not. Power, as Nietzsche conceives of it, then must involve a number of features. Firstly, it is certainly the assertion of a drive towards self-sufficiency. Power aims to uphold whatever entity it manifests or makes appear. The power of a will aims to posit and sustain itself as a distinct entity, differentiated from others. However, and secondly, this striving to sustain itself also adapts to its immediate context and thus is inherently in relation to others, whatever those others might be, a community, a person, organic cells, and thus has its autonomy mitigated through resistance. Thus, and finally, will to power is the attempt at augmentation, 
where power can be both enhanced or decreased. Power is both power over and power under, active and passive. Power is relational all the way up and all the way down. And by all the way up and all the way down, I do mean that. But does this not sound like a traditional metaphysical notion? Not for Nietzsche, at least not in his own self-interpretation. The will to power is not an abstract universal phenomenon. Indeed, nothing could be further from the truth. The will to power is in fact a theory of concrete distinctiveness. Nietzsche asks what are the conditions of intelligibility for how things survive, persist and relate. This does not mean that all things exist in the same way. So the will to power is a capacious explanatory device extending over instincts, biological life, psychological types and social relations. But not a homogeneous theory of everything. Rather it is a theory of specifics, or better, perspectives. By perspective, we should not think of perspective in a narrow sense, as in, this is my perspective, or this is your perspective. It could be these. But to suggest reality is reducible to particular perspectives gives us a fairly thin account of ontology. Thus, will to power is not an equivalent to a rather liberal epistemology, where your perspective has value, my perspective has value, her perspective has value. Or, as we might say, everyone is entitled to their opinion. But to assert this is to assert something universal rather than particular. So will to power is not just a characterization of subjectivity. The will to power is really not something subjective at all. It's really not something a subjective perspective holds or has. This is to say it is not an attribute of one's psychology, which one can then apply to external contexts and objects. Nietzsche, in much the same way Hegel did, attempts to close and collapse the distinction between inner and outer, subject and object. The will to power utterly undermines our conception of agency. The view that what I am is a self-causing and self-determining agent. Instead, Nietzsche thinks we need to grasp perspectivity. Nietzsche's perspectivity is not exclusively an epistemological notion, that is, he is not exclusively making a claim about perspectival nature of true claims. He is talking about something much deeper. Perspectivity is the basic condition of life itself. Any something which exists distinctively attempts to survive and thrive in distinctive ways. It attempts to assert its value, where we understand value as an activity of evaluation. Hence, what Nietzsche means by perspectivity, or perspectivalism, as it is sometimes put, depends on how all entities strive to be. Their perspectives are defined by their purposive direction. All wills are then perspectives in relation to, and their basic function is striving to assert their identity and struggle. All perspectives are entities inherently in relation. Which is to say all perspectives do not look out on the world in a passive way, but are actively involved as perspectives which perform in the field of power relations. The relations are prior to relata, which is to say, relations are prior to the things which are related. The will to power then establishes how perspectives interact, influence, interpret, or use in strong and weak ways. Will to power is what makes reality intelligible, and indeed enriches Nietzsche's picture of why being is becoming, and not just mindless change. With the will to power, Thinking is an activity which discerns will as seeking to sustain, preserve, and enhance itself. In short, where will is an interpreting perspective. Perspectives, as I already mentioned, are drives. 
they have an intentionality to them, where we understand the term intentionality not in a voluntaristic sense of an assertion of subjective beliefs, wants, or intentions. For example, I want to go to the shop, but in the sense that Husserl might understand intentionality. That is, something inherently directed. A perspective strives to be what it is. It retains, maintains, and orients itself in the way it does towards what it wants to be. This is why Nietzsche calls the term perspective. It is a view, but a view in a very specific sense. A view of its purpose, ends, as well as the obstacles and environment it must interact with, struggle with, and overcome. Nietzsche names directly this radical perspectivism, or a power ontology, as the, and I quote, necessary perspective by virtue of which every centre of force, and not only man, construes all the rest of the world from its own viewpoint, that is, measures, feels, forms, according to its own force. Here, perspectivity is expressed as a complex and interactional form of specificity, where all specific bodies strives to maintain themselves. This is the spatial principle of force. A body strives to extend and locate itself in space, as well as repel that which resisted over time. However, as a body develops itself, it will inevitably encounter efforts on the parts of other bodies which resist its efforts at mastery. Subsequently, both bodies collaborate together as will to power. Again, the will to power is not restricted to an epistemological claim. Real objectivity is not a view from nowhere. The third person's God's eye perspective is precluded from the outside because it is inherently not possible, since such a perspective would actually be perspectiveless, which is inherently absurd. Real objectivity is a plurality of interacting perspectives. Wills to power are more real the more relations they can entertain. All perspectives are involved perspectives, are interested perspectives. This is to say they are interested rather than disinterested. They do not look at the world from above, but from the inside, that is, they conceive things imminently. This outlook on truth has led many to accuse Nietzsche of relativism, that is, all truth is perspectival, therefore all truth claims are equally valid. But such accusations are not at all accurate. Relativism itself implies a view from nowhere, from the perspective of, of eternity, that is, subspecie eternitas. Relativism, too, is a truth claim. It is a claim that all truth claims are untenable. Thus, relativism makes a homogenous claim for a God's eye perspective. In fact, Nietzsche lines up here with much of the philosophical tradition's rejection of relativism, viewing relativism as self-contradictory and self-refuting. So Nietzsche certainly does make a case for truth, but it's not a truth we might ordinarily understand. Nietzsche is more interested in articulating a form of truth. Truth is Nietzsche's way of showing how perspectivity is formal, since truth cannot be specific to particular empirical properties or any particular agglomeration of material. Truth is not restricted to particular perspectives which would be dogmatism after all, that is, an insistence on one perspective. The formal way of thinking about truth is Nietzsche's way of making explicit how wills to power emerge irrespective of the distinctive ways they emerge. The question of truth is what makes reality intelligible as reality, 
and here reality is a form of will to power. Even if there is a vast array of specific truth formations, for example, there are many distinctions we could draw between how entities emerge, for example, living and non-living forms of existing, organic, non-organic, technical, or physical. Identifying particular things as comprising of particular sets of properties is necessary, but not a sufficient condition for making something comprehensible as real. From the perspective of will to power, an entity is intelligible as real insofar as it exhibits its distinctive capacities of powers, specifically the power to self-maintain itself. The upshot of truth as perspectivity is it allows us to understand and draw distinctions between the different ways perspectives emerge and interact. Perspectivity offers a more real, more nuanced account of truth because it does not imply any standpoint that is not perspectival. Because reality is will to power and nothing besides, this means that we, as living thinkers, are also byproducts of the same processes. Our perspective is not the truth, certainly, but our interestedness does not preclude understanding other parts of reality. Because the perspectivity of wills implies that we too are interested beings. We too, like everything else, incorporate and adapt to other perspectives through thinking, seeing, feeling, judging and overcoming. Wills to power are more real the more relations they can entertain, and this goes for us too. The more perspectives that we are exposed to, the more we can gain a sense of the nature of life itself as will to power. In some sense, because we too are will to power and nothing besides, we are appropriately equipped to think along with reality as will to power. Our perspectives are not incommensurable. They can translate, overlap and adapt to each other. Indeed, we always have an interest in incorporating others. This tells us something about the types of being we are. We are the beings that exist developmentally, but also exponentially. Growing by multiplying the perspectives we are inherently exposed to, for better or worse. Nietzsche, rather than the anarchic relative he's often posed as, wants to give us a clear sense of our own self-understanding by helping us see ourselves as one will to power among many, as beings which exist as a nexus between wills to power. This, of course, is not to say that we don't renege on this truth or repress it or avoid it. Nietzsche gives plenty of examples of ways human beings are not willing to see the truth, everything from affirming religious ideals to being wedded to a past to forms of revenge and resentment. Here we can glimpse a sense of how Nietzsche understands truth as inherently historical, though. Coming to know something requires an attentiveness, a sense of discernment, a sense of discrimination, a questioning, an experimenting, an active investigating of evidence, as well as a sincerity to understand emerging perspectives. To know the truth is equivalent to moving through time. So truth here is dispositional. It involves understanding the question of truth as an activity. To understand the form of truth is to understand how truth is formation. That is, it is to know truth less as an abstract, disinterested theory and more as ways of willing which require a richer and more enhanced appreciation of a clash of perspectives. As such, Nietzsche offers an agonistic theory of truth. If the most basic philosophical activity is the separating of truth from falsehood, Nietzsche wants us to enrich this traditional notion. 
where once we attempted to assert the will to truth, that is a perspectiveless perspective, Nietzsche now wants us to incorporate and retain our errors, as this provides us with as total an account of innumerable wills as possible. Thus, truth holds a communal value, which, while never free from an exertion of power, is always in need of being worked out in relation. In conclusion, the will to power is a complex and challenging notion. Nietzsche proposes that there is no fundamental ground to reality. Reality is interacting forces. These forces are best understood as forms of willing, striving and enhancing. The will to power is about how entities emerge and interact and it is therefore also a theory of distinctiveness or how certain entities come to be the entities they are as well as how they survive, persist and relate. We should distinguish will to power as truth from philosophy's traditional will to truth or the will to objectivity. The will to truth is a desire to assert a perspectiveless objectivity which, as we have seen for Nietzsche, is untenable. The will to truth is a hangover of Christianity and Platonism, a dispassionate pose which conceals the real truth of the will to power. On the whole, the will to power is also an important notion to understand because it makes explicit a number of other concepts which Nietzsche broaches. For example, it relates to eternal recurrence, since Nietzsche's eternal recurrence aims to manifest the ethical stakes of what it means to be a temporal being, attempting to impose certainty on a world constituted only from power relations. Elsewhere, we can see will to power in Nietzsche's critique of Christianity as the paradigmatic account of nihilistic resentment, where we forsake the truth of embodied power for an eternal ideal. Or we can see it in his notion of the Ubermensch, where we need to master the competing instincts which constitute us as dispositional and temporal beings. Additionally, the will to power allows Nietzsche to bring philosophy to bear on the question of life, since life is a distinctive mode of the will to power. One of Nietzsche's primary tasks is to articulate an expression of life as both a form of biological life and spiritual freedom. Most commonly, we can then detect the will to power in Nietzsche's critique of morality, where moralizing is projected as disguised forms of power. This we will turn to next.